Welcome to the Sober Community Channel, where our goal is to open minds and soften hearts concerning one of the greatest healthcare crises facing our country, which is addiction to drugs and alcohol. Hi, I'm Rocky. I'll be your host, and this is T. I call you T. What? What? What's your name? Nitya. Oh, Nitya. Mm-hmm. I knew that. So. Do we have a topic today? Are we... Yes. We're talking about sponsorship. What is that? Big part of the program. It's a huge part of the program. So I'm glad you brought that up. You ever hear that story about the guy in the hole? I have. I remember. You have? Yeah. Do you want to tell it or should I tell it? No, you tell it. Are you sure? All I remember is some guys in the hole and people walk by. That's a good part of the story. Yeah, there's a guy in a hole, right, that he's dug himself into. And uh, and he looks around. And by the time he wants to get out, he's dug the hole larger and taller than him. He can't get out. So he starts to call for help. And up walks a rich guy. I think I picture him, like, with a monocle, like the, the one glass and the top hat, like Monopoly. And then he says, hey, I'm stuck in this hole. Can you help me get out? And the guy looks in and says, uh... You know, time is money. I don't have time to help you with this. And he leaves him in the hole. And then next comes up a psychologist. And psychologist walks up to the hole and he says, uh, I'm stuck in this hole. Nobody will help me out. And the psychologist says, well, how do you feel about being in that hole? Let's talk about it. Which is not very helpful. And then he leaves. And then comes up a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist says, uh, he says, what are you doing? He's like, I'm stuck in the hole. Nobody will help me out. Can you please help me? And psychiatrist is like, sure, and he throws a script for Xanax in to the hole. And then walks up a beautiful woman. Great nails, great hair. And uh, and he's like, please, nobody will help me out, out of this hole. Will you help me? And, uh, and the girl goes, I'm not, I'm not going to mess up my hair and my nails for you. And, and she leaves him in the hole. And then walks up just an average-looking guy with a shine in his eyes. And that guy uh, looks down, and the guy looks up at him, and he goes, I'm, I'm really stuck. Can you help me in the... He's like, what's the problem? He's like, I can't get out of this hole. And so that guy jumps into the hole with him. And then when he gets in the hole, the guy goes, what, what are you doing? Now, now we're both stuck in this hole. And the guy says, no, we're not both stuck in this hole. I've been in this hole before. I know the way out. Follow me. I like it. That was what happened to me. That's exactly. But the guy who jumped into my hole jumped in with a big book. Right? There's probably many, many ways to get sober. We have no monopoly on it, but that was the path. And he literally said, follow me through the pages of the book. And I was, I was very fortunate. We went line by line, literally word by word, translated the book. It's called Parsing. He, um, this was in 2005, was a fifth generation sponsor of Bill Wilson. So the guy who mentored him in the book had brought like literally 2,000 men through the steps and taught the book. Um, probably all around the country, but certainly in Florida for a long time. And, uh, and that style parsing is really just making it understandable. So it, it, in many ways, a sponsor really, they're definitely not the answer, right? They take our hands and put it in the hands of a power greater than ourselves. But in there, much stuff gets lost in translation. And I remember my, you know, I had some God issues in the beginning. My weak faith in God would serve me less than my great faith in my sponsor who right upon sitting down in the big book, I opened up that first page, and I don't know if you've ever seen the actual first page, has nothing on it. And he says, what's on this page? And I said, nothing. He's like, it's probably what you know about recovery, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I, yeah, I know. It was, he was great at teaching me humility. And, uh, and they said, I don't know how to get sober, and I'm positive you don't, so why don't we just go through this book and take the instructions and see what happens? You know? 
my life was never the same after that. And uh, what's your experience with sponsorship so far? Good question. I'm not a sponsor so far. I just have a sponsor. So I've been shown what to do and how to do it. I just haven't taken it and done it myself. Okay. Are you you're through the 12 steps? I am. That's awesome. Are you having a hard time finding people to work with? No. I've actually had girls ask me to sponsor them. And you said what? I hated it. I didn't want to say no. Um, I just, I have like this timeline set in my head about when that should happen and that I should have at least a year before I sponsor other women and I should take that first year to build my sober support network, get to meetings, get through my steps, get settled in my personal life, whatever it is, before I am that person that so many girls would come to for guidance through this book or the steps. How soft do you want me to be right now? Not too hard. Okay. <laughs> going to be gentle um wow i i think that that way you're well first of all the stuff you're doing is great we went to a meeting last week together we talked about we shared a little bit of our personal stories right um you're smart you, you got college degree economics politics both both double major yeah that's brilliant right um and 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 all that stuff obviously you know how to learn and teach and grow but it seems like i'm mean, gonna ask you this let's back up when you first got to the rooms of recovery you didn't anticipate, like, I'm going to be here for somebody else, right? Like, like nobody comes to the rooms because, like, I just can't wait to be of service to other people. No, I came with the idea of, okay, people are saying this is going to fix my life and me, so let me do this to fix That's me. right. Me too. I came because, well, crack is expensive. That's one. Two, I didn't have the right relationship. I figured I'd get that solved there. Um, my life was falling apart. And I wanted my life put back together, right? I think that's what most of us come here for. Yeah. Yeah, if I came to the first meeting and like, hey, our goal is to get out, out there and be of service to other people, I probably wouldn't have, I certainly wouldn't have put a dollar in the basket, probably would not have come back, right? Didn't realize that spiritual mathematics is different than earthly mathematics, kind of like what we talked about before. The 12th step is one of those spiritual principles where like, it's very weird. When we give, we actually get more. You know, they say half measures avail us nothing. We know that 50% will equate to zero results. So will 80, right? But but that same spiritual non-application of earthly math, when I actually give something away to somebody through the 12 step, I receive more and so do they. Um, not normal stuff, not normal stuff. So it sounds like you actually are concerned that you don't want to be ineffective in helping somebody. Right, and I mean... I get the idea to give away is to get more for myself. Um, you know, I do service. I take other service commitments besides sponsoring women. I speak at meetings, I chair meetings, I clean up, set up coffee. Um, I just, I think sponsorship is a specific service commitment that carries a lot of weight to it in somebody else's life. And I don't think just yet, it's not like I'm, I refuse to sponsor. Just yet, I don't think I'm that person. You know, I was told you know when you're ready to sponsor somebody. How's that? When you're through the work and somebody asks. Okay. There's just, we have different experiences. Neither one is right or wrong. 
that being said, I, I also like that one year thing, like you kind of set up for yourself, but we hear that in the rooms a lot, right? I'm so glad that you know who never heard that suggestion. Who? Bill Wilson. Because if he hadn't, or Ebby Thatcher, who's the guy who at 60 days sober is standing in a soup kitchen in New York in the 1930s with the guy who brought him through the process, was an A at the time in his Oxford group, and you're reminiscing about their high school friend Bill, who's cross town and drunk, and his sponsor is Roland Hazard, says, why don't you go talk to Bill? And why don't you go help him? He doesn't say, oh, don't go on a 12-step call alone. He doesn't say, you don't have a year, you can't help somebody. If, if any of those things happen, that's one of those moments where the slender threads of Alcoholics Anonymous and all of the other 12-step fellowships that ensued from that hang in the balance right then and there. If that guy says, don't go over there, you're going to get drunk, which Ebby was very well connected with the power grid himself at that time, none of us would probably be here. Right, but that was also 1930s. Things have changed since then. Has spirituality changed since then? No, but I think the program has changed. That's so interesting you say that. Our interpretation and the room's information in the rooms has changed, but the program was literally written down in 1930s, 39 it was published, and it's not changed at all. So what you're talking about is really at the heart of all the misinformation, right? What happened is, you know, the American Medical Association deemed alcoholism a disease, right? Therapy is incredibly valuable. I'm, I'm a product of therapy, right? But their spirituality and, and they're, they're just for different purposes. Does that make sense? But it's not, it's a mainstay of the program. It's literally never changed. But our rooms, because of the third tradition, the only requirement is that desire to not drink. There are people who are not even alcoholics in the rooms, and they're sharing what worked for them. You might only need a gym membership and an attractive girlfriend to get sober if you're a problem drinker. And then you stay because the coffee's good, it's entertaining, it's probably one of the most interesting social clubs in the world, or the most expensive book clubs in the world, right? And so you stay because it's great in a lot of ways. And then you start telling people how you did it. Does that make sense? Makes sense. You're a victim of bad information. You can blink now. It's not that, I just, I don't just take what other people tell me. I try and make some sort of judgment on my own. And from what I've seen is, I wouldn't want a sponsor today who has 60 days sober. That's, that's personally for me. Um, I put some value to not only the program that they're working, but the amount of time that they've had because I've seen myself grow just over time because I've had the time to work a program experience things meet certain people have certain conversations and grow over that time so I would want somebody who has also had that opportunity to grow to take me through the steps and I wouldn't want to do a disservice to another woman who needs to be taken through the steps too would you want a sponsor that's intelligent I would would you want a sponsor that's has a career for themselves and is building themselves professionally I would would you want a sponsor that's kind to people yeah would you want a sponsor that is concerned about people? Yeah. How much time do you have? I'm coming up on nine months. In a row? Yeah. I hear that part's important. It is. Right, so so how about an intelligent, kind, smart, respectful person that's really concerned for the welfare of another person, right? From the eyes of a girl that's got two days sober and just came off the streets of Dixie and Lake Worth. And that person that is you. I feel like I would help her by taking her to the right people, women who've helped me. Who's to say you're not the right person? I don't know. Exactly. 
So interesting, right? Let's go to the other side of this coin, right? Because I see your point and I've, I've experienced it well. I went to a, in Syracuse, New York, many years ago, right? Before my first stint of recovery, probably like 2000 and it's when 50 Cent was around. So, I mean, we're talking early 2000s. I know. I don't know if you're, yeah. So, I went to a clubhouse and I was desperate. I was actually, it's a crazy story as many of my life stories where I was living in a Kung Fu temple. I thought I had found my mentor, my guru, right? Was learning Kung Fu. Turns out he was an alcoholic. And um, and I was like, I need to change some things in my life. Right? And uh, and I went to this clubhouse and they were like, we do old school AA, right? And I'm like, awesome. And and I, in my head, my first meeting, I was 15. I was mom dated to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Without a drinking problem, she saw my behavior and was like, you were gonna need these people someday and dragged me pretty much by my ear to AA. I call that mom dated, right? And uh, and I sat in that meeting and I heard them talk and, and I it was like this, they just sounded like a bunch of losers. Like it was a war story meeting where everybody was three to four times my age and there was the one guy who was like, I have a DWI and I was like, I don't have a driver's license, I'm 15. And the guy was like, I got three DWIs. I was like, that dude's a loser, right? Another guy was like, I just got divorced. I was like, I can't even get a girlfriend. I related to nothing. <laughs> But here's what I did that was a disservice to myself. I've made a picture in my head of what an alcoholic was. And the poster child in my mind that I walked out with to think out my sponsor corrected to the doctor's opinion was it like an alcoholic is a person who, you know, they, they, they wear a trench coat possibly with no, no pants because you can see their ankles, right? They drink out of a brown paper bag. They live under a bridge at least part time, right? And they have like an, a ruffled hat like Indiana Jones or something like that, right? <laughs> And I'm not none of those things. They, they, I heard that uh, one guy say that the three greatest you know, things that can convince you're not an alcoholic is youth, intelligence, and money, right? Thank God I don't have any of those anymore, right? But that being said, when this guy in the, I went in the clubhouse and they're like, we're gonna get you a sponsor. I was like, that sounds accurate. I've been to thousands of meetings, it's felt like that. And they're like, well, that's your sponsor. And he looked like the poster child I had in my mind. <laughs> he was wearing pants, he didn't have a trench, but he looked like everything else maybe even the hat, and I was like, are you sure about this? And they said, uh, yeah, well, that's how old school AA is. And I was like, all right, cool. Got that guy as my sponsor, went back, I was in my 90 and 90, right? And uh, day three, I walk in, there's a very tight-knit clubhouse, and they're pretty well known in Syracuse. And I was like, where's my sponsor? And they looked at me like you're looking at me now, <laughs> right? And with the wide eyes, and, uh, and you're like, well, that happens, we're gonna pick you another sponsor. And I was like, you know what, I'm good. And I was like, I will pick somebody. I'm not going to walk out, but I'm going to pick my own. And I sat, and in the back of them, that guy had no no time, no program. Like, But they were trying to go with the spirit of what works in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And then I picked a guy, same clubhouse, same experience, 10 years sober, sitting in the back of the room, humble, good guy, job, all that stuff. And he literally told me, he said, we're not going to work the steps for a year. Let's get a year of drinking or not drinking under our belts and then we'll get into the steps. That same clubhouse had marbles. So they didn't, you know how we give chips? Yeah. They give marbles and they had a white one for surrender. And the idea was if you want to drink, put the marble in your mouth. If it dissolves, drink. I tried it and they never dissolved. You can choke on that. It's a choking hazard, right? And then they had all the way up through the year and then they had a black marble. So interesting because our book talks about resentment being the number one offender. So they kind of play with that concept. It's like, if you have a black marble, here's what they said. Put it in your shoe, because resentments are uncomfortable. They're the number one killer of alcoholics. Well, before I left that clubhouse and drank again, I had 
days where I had two marbles in my left shoe, one marble in my right shoe. <laughs> they were right. It was uncomfortable, right? And I actually left that house on a resentment, on that, that clubhouse on a resentment. Um, very, very interesting. So there are two sides to this whole coin, right? Somebody in the middle ground, right, who may be, I mean, a youthful, a 20-something that's really on fire going through that is probably sufficient to pass the information, hold the hand, and walk it into God's hand. Would that make sense? Makes sense. You're mature, precocious, I would even say. Right? Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. So you might even want somebody who's a little more experienced, right? People are different when they're weathered through the experiences of life and have had programs through illness, through the death of loved ones, through learning that whole game of how to have a healthy relationship with the opposite sex, right? And that's probably more what would attract you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I've heard... Find a sponsor who has what you want. Mm. And so that's what I look for. I, you know, I actually sat down, I did this. I wrote down the things that I would like to see in my life. What I would define as successful. What did that list happy. look like? Um, a lot of it included materialistic things, which was a job and financial stability and um, a career path. But a lot of it included relationships too, relationships with family, um, healthy relationships with friends who are positive influence in your life. Um, some were characteristics, being kind and being uh, happy, you know? And that's what I looked for when I was looking for my sponsor. Um, when I look at, you know, where I am today on that list, I think I'm just starting to achieve some of those things. It's a work in progress. And I don't know if there's a girl out there who wants a work in progress as her sponsor. Who's not a work in progress? Everybody is in the grand scheme of things. So let's take this and, and if I may, can I? Sure. And let's put this down to a base level, right? A lot of the girls in South Florida, right? How bad is their experience in active addiction? Bad. Does it involve rape, prostitution, overdoses? Absolutely. My story did. Uh, right. You know, I overdosed. Do you think they times. care if you're getting promoted through, the, through, through work? No. So this is really life or death. It is. They literally have asked you to be part of their process to avert their death. Right. Interesting. That's a big responsibility, though. Thank God it's on the program. And the only faulted part of the process is the individual going through the process, right? You understand the threefold nature of the disease, right? Explain it to me. The first step? Oh, This yeah. is a conversation in the car. Are you messing with me right now? Right. No, no. I remember. Spiritual, mental, physical. Right. Allergy, obsession, spiritual malady. You know all that stuff. I right. just put you on the spot. Right. We call that the Rocky factor. That's weird, right? But you know what I'm talking about. I do. Okay. How many of them don't? I didn't when I was brand new. Correct. How many of them literally only think that, that their problem is they are morally corrupt or a piece of whatever, right? And exactly. you sit down with them and in one conversation, you can have a talk that actually gives them the ability to have compassion for themselves and understand that the tricking in the streets is as a result of an illness. To understand that, that the, the, the inability to show up for other people, keep commitments, be there for your parents, be there for your lovers, is literally a byproduct of the disease because they now fully, for the first time in their life, understand the illness and powerlessness. How valuable is that? 
Very. It's a big part of the first step. Newton's law of inertia, a body in motion tends to stay in motion until enacted upon by a different body. Or Does that make you know that law? Yeah. Right. So if it's a comet that we're talking about, and the comet is the newcomer, right, shooting through the space of active addiction, and you push them two degrees, light years down the road, they wind up in a different galaxy. Right. Do we need any more preparation, those of us that already know what the problem is, to pass the problem to other people over a cup of coffee? No, but it expands past that. So you talk about the problem, but the next step is the solution. There's a chapter about that? There is. That would be great if we shared that with them, wouldn't it? Right, but I feel like I would want to be explained this chapter. Like you said, your sponsor took you through that book line by line. Probably told you what was important. Emphasized this. uh, Words, definitions, whatever it is. I don't think I would be able to do that. You don't have to be a big book ninja. Those, those are great. They're cool. Sometimes, sometimes they're the worst. But the reality is, the reality is this: the information, like the first three steps, are not even working steps. They're conclusions and a decision, right? Everybody comes in here with some frame of reference about a higher power, right? I was in an over-religious family that I rebelled from. I was in a, you know, like you have a very interesting story, right? Yeah, I um, went to Catholic school my whole life. But I came home to a really strict Hindu family. My dad's a priest. I'm confused at even what you're saying right now. (laughs) So you had many gods with tons of guilt? Yeah, I mean, all those gods that I was even taught about were all punishing strict gods that basically told me I'd go to hell. Did they make you wear the funny outfits too? I think they're pretty outfits. I think yeah, they're I, we're I not even we're not cleared to talk about those. But so so the reality is you had I mean, did one of your parents was a practicing Hindu, a priest? They both were, but my mom also went to Catholic school growing up. The Catholic school was just is a strict private school. So she, you know, did what she was taught to do, which was send her kids to Catholic school. So you were almost raised in a house of religious training. Yes. Absolutely. Was your sponsor? My sponsor grew up in a very Christian family. Very, you know, one track, this is what you do. You go to this church in our local town, and you continue doing that with your kids. Mainstream. Kind of very common for America. Yeah. You were not born in America. No. No. I was born in India. India, Indiana? No, India the country. Oh, I've heard of it. Fantastic food. Really good food. Curry. One of my favorites. So, I'm sorry. So, that being said, how long were you in India for? For like three years. So, before I was even a conscious human being, I came here. Did you have a job before you left? India? What? No, I was three. I I, I don't know what the labor laws are there. So, that being said, right, she was in a totally different contract for you. Didn't need to break down the book for you, but she showed you, I'm, I'm guessing here, feel me if I'm wrong, by example, that she had some kind of relationship with a different understanding of her own experience with a power, and that didn't change or, like, redirect yours, but it was an example for you to find your own personal experience with. Right. I mean, we had similarities in our stories. We were exposed to a certain religion growing up. We both, at some point, said no to that and, and went away and built this hatred, I guess, for concept of God and religion. And at some point through the program, both found our way back to, you know, I still don't practice a single religion. I go 
I, I define my higher power like I was taught by my sponsor as some as whatever I wanted it to look like. It's almost a textbook journey. You know, I've, my personal experience tells me that that God enters through the wound, right? That most of us get broken. That we have to have the submission and powerlessness that doesn't come through intellectual conclusion, right? But it comes through the brokenness of the spirit, right? When we just totally give up, and then and then we walk our own individual paths back towards either the the God of our parents or one of our own new understanding and all that stuff. But how, I mean, how many definitions do I need to know we agnostics to have that conversation with somebody and just share my personal story? Because the reality is we may have fought different battles on different battlegrounds, but in addiction, we all lost the same war. Is that similar to your experience too? Yeah, but my sponsor not only shared her own experience, but when she was taking me through the chapter, we agnostics, she explained, she pointed out, look, this is the part where it's telling you it's not about religion. Look, this is the part where you can choose your own higher power. Page 46, third paragraph. I can't do that for another girl. Nor what do you, you just did. Nor do you need to. But do you have a book? Are we taping without a book? We are. It's all right. I know it. Right? So one of the things it says in there is it was, it was great that we could, many of us were just, we were very relieved that we could abandon the idea of other people's higher powers. That's what page 46 talks about. It's the second step promise. I have every faith in your ability as you're reading that information to turn to a girl and go, you can pick your own God. Page 47, right, when it says, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe, which constitutes some disbelief, right, that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. I have every faith in your ability and many others, almost any others, to say you don't have to believe in anything. Right? Are you willing to believe that this program, the set of instructions in this book, and this fellowship, the two or three million people who are sober, can help you not drink one day at a time? Right? And through that, we take the rest of the steps on that cornerstone they talk about. And it says, upon that cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. I'm actually quoting the book right now. That we can say, just from that willingness to believe, we can make a decision, three, to work the steps. Here's the instructions. And four, right? go write this inventory with these columns. You're familiar with all that. Right, but take step four, for example. When I came back to my sponsor with my step four, not only did she explain to me how to do it before I put it down on paper, but she also looked at my step four and asked me certain questions that made me go back and, and edit it almost, like add more names and, and correct it. I don't feel like where I am right now in my recovery, I'm able to do that and make sure that the girl that I'm taking through the steps has a thorough step four. I just got lost in editing. Is that where you learned how to edit my blogs? It's, I edit everything I read. Do you use Grammarly on your four step? No, I should have. <laughs> okay. So, but there's the format in the book, right? We talk about page 63 to page 70 is literally here are the columns. Here's how we do it. There's an example of those three columns, right? Right. In reading with that, you're familiar with your process, right? Right. Are you familiar with... Probably more than the girl who asked you to sponsor her last week? Definitely. 100% I have confidence in your ability to do that, right? And right. here's the great thing about sponsoring people that don't know recovery. They don't know that we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and usually we do. I mean, that's one of the things that just made me so comfortable with sponsorship in the beginning was because I was pretty clearly trained that I'm not going to be the answer. I just need to understand the book. Now, I watched you in the short amount of time we've met already start to go in to get more academic with the process. There's tremendous value to that, right? Aren't you listening to some big book stuff now? Yeah, something you showed me, actually. I don't I'm know about to all Joe that. and Charlie. It's an unconfirmed rumor. Joe and Charlie, what's your experience with Joe and Charlie? Well, I didn't even know who they were before you had opened that up to me. 
and now I can't stop listening. I mean, they're explaining the book, they're explaining the origins of the program, and a lot differently than I ever, any of my conceptions about the program. That was exactly my experience with that. I, 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 in the very beginning, after I went through the steps with my sponsor, I literally listened to them several times and went through the book while taking notes on the book, then taught that to other people, and then that just kind of reconfirmed what I was learning. You know, it took me a while to understand that the process of mastery, like if you read other books, Robert Greene has a book on mastery, and it talks about it takes 10,000 hours of honing on a craft to master it, right? I, I have more than that in our personal recovery and trying to work with and help other people, which is the only reason why I know the information. not better than. It's not smarter than. It's literally just put the effort into that stuff. And, and that being said, that process that I've now just my experience with is, is I go from if I really want to get something, right, I go from from repetition jumps me to memorization, memorization jumps me to utilization, and utilization jumps me to internalization. See, but that's what I'm talking about. I'm taking the first, say, eight months of this year that I have on my timeline and learning, and the next few months, just like you introduced me to Joe and Charlie, I'm expanding my horizons, so I'm, I'm learning different perspectives, and what you call mastery, hoping to take a step towards that so I can pass it on to someone else. And what's wrong with that? Nothing. I just need this extra time to get through resources like Joe and Charlie and others that I'll learn only with time. I agree. There's nothing wrong with that. However, are you open to another idea? What's that? What's the greatest way to learn something? Like you said, by teaching somebody else. Teach to learn, right? Simultaneously, you can do the drive in your car and listen to Joe and Charlie thing, right? Can we put a link on this for them? Sure, we can do that. Dope. So, but simultaneously, you can be doing that, and then it's reaffirmed when you meet your sponsee for step three on Saturday and that week you touch on the chapter you know how it works and those five or whatever pages it is while you do that then you sit down with her and it gets that's where we go from repetition to memorization to now I know how to utilize the information and then eventually I just go with it it's internalized isn't that a farce a farce that's a big word is it a fallacy yeah what is the process no it's a, it's a farce I'm saying hey, I'll take you through the steps. I know what I'm talking about, but actually I'm learning what I'm talking about that week. Let me ask you a question. If you went to a restaurant, right, and you ordered a meal, right, and the meal came out perfectly, like the steps are the meal in this analogy, right? Do you care if it was a chef in training overseen by a chef? If the meal came out perfectly, no, I wouldn't care who made it. Is the steps perfectly designed out of this book? They are. So is that meal a farce? If it's made by a chef in training who's being oversaw, that would be you. Oversaw by a master chef, that would be Joe and Charlie. So let me ask you this. There's an importance, there is importance placed on a sponsor because this is the person who's taking you through the steps laid out in the book. But at the same time, the sponsor is not your end-all be-all for recovery. So why do we need the sponsor in the first place to take you through the book if you can open the book and read it yourself? Great question, Danielson. We usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient is what the book talks about. Like I've read the book myself alone, right? Sometimes without being intoxicated or high on weed, right? And then when I read things like, you know, 
in Bill's story, there's a, a doggerel or an epitaph that he walks up in Winchester Cathedral, right, before he tries to stop drinking. And it said, a good soldier is never forgot whether he dieth by musket or dieth by pot. I didn't know anybody could smoke weed to death. I heard of one case where somebody died of weed. It was a cop in a warehouse and like a 300-pound bale fell on him and broke his neck and he died. I literally read that as the guy smoked weed to death. You say things to me like, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't speak 1939 prolific English. I'm from Hell's Kitchen, New York City, raised in, you know, born in 75, raised in the 80s. I don't speak the way Bill wrote. So your sponsor should know enough to translate that for you. So they should listen to it the week before they sit down. If they haven't yet, be able to get the information and pass that forward. Unless their sponsor, which I'm not saying anybody's sponsor is doing anything wrong, but I, I, what we're standing on here is that the literal path of the 12 steps has been perfectly laid out in this book. But the language is a little bit different. We needed to, What my sponsor did for me was he translated it for me, right? He took my hand through this process. He, my sponsor, literally the first one, literally when I asked him to sponsor me, he asked me two questions. Are you willing to go any lengths for your recovery? And can you take a couple simple directions? I didn't know he was literally talking out the book. I said yes to both. I was lying. I didn't know I was lying. I wasn't willing to go to email. Any lengths at that time. And, uh, and he literally put his arm around me and said, we're going to take a walk. It's going to be 12 steps, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Like that hallway in Boca Raton, in that, that church that we, we had that conversation is sacred ground to me. And I'm not religious, but that's sacred ground to me. And, and I think you or anybody else who's been through the steps, no matter how masterfully they know the book, can jump into whether it's Joe and Charlie. There is a seminar coming up in May called Big Book Adventures where they there's the new Joe and Charlie are two guys named Pat R. and Brian H. Right? They're amazing. These guys are, we live in South Florida, how fortunate we are. We literally, we stand on the shoulders of giants in South Florida. Right? We also have the other element, which is 26 and under and just not exactly done. And, you know, scooters, sneakers, telemarketing <laughs> jobs. That, you know, that's the other Florida plan. That we've got a Florida model for recovery. Something my sponsor helped me get out of. I was one of those. I'm 24 years old. When I came down to Florida, I was 23. I was one of those. I started off in that cycle of not really here to do the deal. I'm going to go in and out, in and out. And my sponsor was able to pull me out of that so I could get to where I am today. What was the difference maker, your sponsor? I mean, at first, yeah, I attribute something to her just because, so like I was just telling you, when I came back from my last relapse, I'd come back from a program where I had no contact with people and I'd come back to that same meeting I'd been going to for the whole first half of the year. Um, and I came back with the thoughts of, this is going to be so embarrassing. All these people are going to ask where I was and what I was doing and what I was thinking when I did that and all these questions. And the first person I saw in the parking lot was my sponsor. I wasn't even willing to step out of the car. But I saw her, so I stepped out. And she was, she came like barreling towards me with her arms in the air. And she was like, I, she hugged me. She said, I'm so glad you're back. I've been waiting to see you. And that's what I needed at that moment to feel comfortable to keep coming back. Did you inside your mind think you were going to be judged and shamed? Oh, yeah. I can't tell you. When I went back into active addiction to do the research I did last year, 
how many people I came across because it was an odd experience. We'll talk about some other time, but that one of their number one reasons that they were telling themselves, true or not true, to not come back to the room was the judgment of other people. And your sponsor, who may not have memorized the book like I did or ever, did the exact most amazing thing you can do, which is greeted you with non-judgment and love. Yeah, and that allowed me to then be willing and come to her and, and actually do what I was told to do, which is give her a call and ask for the help that I needed. Is there any reason why you're not prepared to do that same thing and meet somebody halfway in the parking lot and say, I'm so glad that you're back. Are you okay? I do that today. I know you do. I'm just saying not just you, the contextual you, right? right. The metaphorical you. Do we need to memorize a book to be able to be concerned for somebody's well-being and just not judge them and say, welcome back? And not just keep coming back, right? To embrace their, their, their needs and their desires. But I do that and... And I think wherever you are, I don't care if you have a week or two weeks, you can welcome someone back and be that smiling face. That's the least anybody can do. That's great. And I will keep them coming back to meetings. But if they're going to stay with us, Mm -hmm. if they're going to heal, all the stuff you're doing, no disrespect, is a lot of setting the table. Right? So, I mean, we take newcomers to meetings. If you can't carry the message to the addict, carry the addict to the message. That's dope. That's cool. Right? We take commitments, we take speaking commitments, we do all these things, but all of that is setting the table for the one thing, which is the meal, which is one addict sitting with another, literature between, a process in which some kind of power always reveals and manifests itself in the way that they can hear and experience. But that's after inventory. That's through the confessional aspect of a fifth step. That's through the immense process. That's through the prayer meditation, the regular spot check inventories, and then they go in to tell somebody else about that. That doesn't happen any other way. I mean, are they or are they not here for the miracle of it? They are. What is the miracle? The steps, who they become as a result. More specifically, you heard people say, don't leave before the miracle happens? Yeah. Turn to page 85. you have a book? I do. Nice. Page 85. Let's see. We all know the nine step promises, right? Right. They're pretty cool, right? Right. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Right. Right? And all these states of mind that they talk about. But there's actually a 10-step miracle. On the bottom of page 84, it talks about, for by this time, sanity will have returned. Sanity in relation to drugs and alcohol, right? It says, if we're interested in liquor, right, if we're tempted, we'll recoil us from a hot flame. That's what they don't have. That person that we're taking to to IHOP or we're doing that, they're going to go back out if we understand the first step. True or not true? True. Minus the spiritual experience, they're going out. Right. Fact, right? So all that setting the table, although it's it's great, it's preparation for the meal. What's the actual miracle? It's disclosed on the next page. We read the next first full sentence on the next page. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor or drugs has been given away without any thought or effort on our part. It that's, just comes. That's interesting. No thought or effort on our part. Well, we're on step 10. The book implies we've done the work up until that step, right? So how does it say no thought or effort on our part? Because the reality is we oftentimes put thought and effort into stopping drinking. I'm not hanging out with these people. 
I'm doing this kind of drug or that kind of drug instead. Make sense? Mm -hmm. We stopped doing all that and we put thought and effort towards taking the instruction of our sponsor through the pages of this book and God did the heavy lifting of removing the obsession to drink. So it says we can recoil as if from a hot flame. The ability that they don't have, they can have. And then it says, right, what's the next line after what you just stopped at? It says, right, we're just, we're no longer tempted. It says that is the miracle of it. The miracle is step 10 promise. The obsession has been removed. That's a miracle that's there for anybody who holds themselves willing to receive that miracle. It's available to us all. The receivership is literally contingent upon asking a sponsor for help, going through the process of 1 through 10, and it's guaranteed by 10. I've never seen that fail. You had that, right? Somewhere, somewhere between 1 and 10, you knew that you didn't. You just had no more desire to do it. You were true? Yeah. Right, so, so I don't need to master the book per se and memorize the lines to get with the concepts. And as I read it to them, if I want to be a superstar and I do a little outside homework, if I didn't get that kind of sponsor, which is not necessary, right, then I can learn the book. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the other side of that coin is people in the rooms. You know, I had some unspiritual behavior even while I was doing step series and all of those things. And, and I, you know, I was, my message grew up faster than I did. That's for sure. Right? And people thought because I was talking about God that I was saying I was godly. Not at all. Like, this is a fellowship of the broken. Right? Just because I know the book doesn't mean I was in that position. And, and the reality is, that, like, it just, I didn't need to, to understand it the way I did. And you probably lived way better than I did when I was five years or ten years sober before I went back out. Like, you have a very, I can tell, you're very moral, you're ethical, your principles. You edit my work very firmly. <laughs> so so that being said I don't, you don't have to have the memorization of that stuff the more you work on it the more you repetition will lead to memorization and that utilization you already do a lot of that really well but if we're not helping the newcomer eat dinner how are they going to stay and literally every chair that we have in the rooms is preceded by a hundred or two that are out there if not thousands we don't know what those numbers are okay yeah, sponsor's job is real simple. We just take them to... You like anagrams? Yeah. What sponsor? do you got for me? I got one. I got one. I stole this, right? I was told in AA like or CA or any of them, if you hear it and then you reference it three times, it's yours. Okay. I've referenced this for years. Fair enough. Mickey B, though. He's a great speaker. But he talks about sponsor. How do you spell sponsor? S-P-O-N-S-O-R. Sober person offering newcomer off suggestions on recovery a sober person offering a newcomer suggestions on recovery what is our suggestion because we only have one that you go through the steps right now we have a lot of suggestions around that 90 meetings in 90 days that's not even one of the real actual recovery suggestions is it a bad idea definitely not definitely not right all these other things are great but, but the reality is one suggestion, I know that's true because it says on page 58, here are the steps we suggest as a program of recovery. The steps are the program. The program is the whole suggestion, right? So program, that's in the big book. How do you spell big book? B-I-G space B-O-O-K. I like the fact that you denoted the space, <laughs> right? So B-I-G B-O-O-K. In the big book, we learn that believing in God beats our old knowledge. Believing in God beats our old knowledge. All I the, like that. Not bad. I, that, thank you, Mickey. Right? I learned that too. All the knowledge I had about how to stop using didn't work. Right? A belief in a higher power did. How do I do that? The process will take care of that.
right? In that big book, we have the program. We just talked about that, the one suggestion. How do you spell program? You got another one for me? I don't know. I just don't know how to spell program. How do you spell program? P-R-O-G-R-A-M. Those in the program are people relying on God relaying a message. Okay. How do you spell message? M-E-S-S-A-G-E. I know you're going to edit this one, right? Message. M-E, me, steps, sponsor, and God every day. Are you about to say every day is two words? Um, so every day can be either one word or two words. They oh, my God. Different. <laughs> they have different definitions. Okay. Every single day, though, I have certain practices, right? Sponsor, steps, those whole suggestive things that get thrown in there. Right? Some kind of a higher power concept. I play with that concept every day. That is part of our message. Right. Every day means daily. Doing something daily. Perfect. Every space day means to do something each day. Which is different how? Are you messing it's with me right now? It's different, but we'd have to go into like serious grammar rules about what each means. Okay. Totally strange. I'm so glad there's no Grammarly for a podcast. Okay, so... So let me ask you a crazy question. What happens next week when you go to a meeting and a girl hears something you share in a meeting, right? Or knows of you and watches your behavior, you help and you pick her up from the halfway house and you bring her there and she goes, I uh, I really appreciate you bringing to this meeting. Are you available for sponsorship? I might consider saying yes. Hallelujah. Can we high five right now? Yeah. Fantastic. But with help. You can even call me, but I, I know your sponsor has all these answers too. But sometimes, I, I, a lot of people ask me to sponsor them. I, I have a group of people that I work with, but I can always be a support. And my offer not just to you, and, but, but the reality is I, I sometimes think people can be as if not more effective from a certain position, right? So, I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll find the people you mean. I'm available for you if you want, but I know your sponsors are already awesome, right? So that's available. But so if a girl asks you next, you, you might say, yeah. I'll say yes. Poor girl, she'll be my guinea pig, but I'll say yes. Can't make an omelet without breaking a couple eggs. That's horrible. People are not eggs. We started out as eggs. Did you know that actually every single egg was first a female, and then we got the extra chromosome before a boy? I did know that. You did know that? You know why? I come from the Indian culture where everyone blames like the male and the men's family. Blame the woman for producing a girl instead of a guy, right? But... The science of it says that the male contributes the deciding chromosome to decide whether the baby is going to be a girl or a boy. So it's actually the man's fault, not not the girl's fault. It's always the man's fault. Always. If you're smart and you want her to be happy. Yeah. I'm newly a boyfriend. I'm learning slowly. Good. Thank you. So my, I have a cousin, by the way, who's from your hometown of India. And she was born, my aunt, not my aunt, I'm sorry, my grandmother, amazing woman, she um, spent years, sounds kind of Mother Teresa-ish, literally helping orphans in India and fell in love with a girl that was left on a doorstep. And it took six years for them to get the adoption paperwork to go through. And in that time, my, her daughter, my mother's sister, um, just amazing family, she thought she couldn't get pregnant, got pregnant, 
Then the adoption went through, and they went from not being able to have kids to having two. And uh, all college graduates, all servants in some way, shape, or form, and activists. So, yeah, I like that story. You just brought me back to that. Very cool. Doesn't Can have... I bring you back to our podcast? I thought you were going to do that. So, so what was our topic for the day again? Sponsorship, Rocky. It's a good idea. You should do it. We should also do it. I told you. I'll try. So, so what questions do you have about sponsorship? I, I have some things to touch on. Oh, so many, but I can take up the next hour, so you start. Um, well, have you heard that? Well, relapse prevention. Let's talk about relapse prevention. Okay. All right, do you do you have a Bible? Oh, we're doing relapse prevention according to the program, not relapse prevention, the, the group that I've been to in IOPs a hundred times. IOP is great, right? A lot of times people in IOP can't do the homework assignment which is don't smoke crack. Okay, yeah. IOP is supplementary. It can be amazingly fantastic. It can help with all kinds of things from, you know, the sec- the, the the steps are not gonna work on sexual trauma per se, yeah. right? They're not gonna work on abuse, right? Family dynamics. So many things that, that literally can improve the quality of our life, right? Mental health. Right, do you know okay. what the difference between therapy and recovery is? What's that? I'm glad you asked. I was asking, I don't really know the difference. Well, one's pricier, but that being said, the reality, well, it is true, but the reality is in, in therapy, the idea is you and I are going to sit down in a room, we're going to talk about some concepts, you're going to get new information, which is going to change your mind, you're then going to walk out of that office, I always picture a couch, a sofa lying on it facing the opposite direction, a la Freud, right, but you walk out of that office and then your behavior changes as a result of the conversation. Now that's awesome and it works. But it doesn't work for addicts against addiction, right? The other difference between therapy and recovery, what the, the real main difference is, is you get a sponsor, you're broken enough before you get the sponsor. And then you walk into there and the sponsor goes, do this. They don't talk about a lot of stuff. I mean, they basically hear some of our stuff and go take these actions. You walk out of that room, you take those actions, and as a result of taking those actions, your thinking changes. They're literally the opposite paradigms. But they work well with each other. At least they have for me, in my experience. For me too. I just I just graduated my therapy. I don't know. That was interesting. But I went for 10 months this time around. I'm like 11 months over. And um, my recovery would not be anywhere close to the same. The stuff I learned from my therapist, also I had one with spiritual nature, union therapy, shadow work, uh, other concepts. She's very eclectic. Um, I didn't learn from my sponsor. She was one of my best leaders in my life thus far. I don't think she fired me. I don't think I quit. She said, you kind of have enough right now to go play in the world and there's no issues with you. So she literally, my next appointment card says, when you need me. My life and my recovery would not be what it is today. And it's amazing, like literally, um, without the therapist that I had. She told you you had no issues? Well, I didn't tell her everything. Okay. That's not true. No, She, uh, she liked it all. She said, go out and play in the world. Okay. I know. God bless her. I, uh, yeah, and she's pricey too, so I was okay with it. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be seeing her again. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely probably reducing the time with which I get to her. So, did you ever do therapy? Oh, yeah. I spent years. Well, let's see. My earliest experience with therapy really started when I was a kid. Me too. When I was like 14, 13, 14, 15, um, I started off as a 
troublemaker, the troubled kid. So my parents' answer to that was, if what we're doing can't help you, let's take you to the professionals. They're going to be able to help you. But I just progressed. And eventually I started going to my therapy sessions really high. And all those therapists fired me. Did you deny that you were using drugs? Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? The book talks about that. It says we'll barely, rarely be honest with these people. So we walk in and they're like, well, based on your behavior and the stuff you're saying, you're probably high. And we're like, no, no, no. Then you're like, well, then you're bipolar. And we're like, I'm definitely not bipolar. Like, yeah, yeah. And then, and then we wonder, like, we're like, oh, therapists suck. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like my experience. Yeah, yeah. It's different when we totally immerse ourselves in the process. It does not give us the removal of the obsession to drink, though. It does. I mean, this time around, I started with therapy, and that therapy was in the form of treatment at a treatment center. And it's what sort of got me willing and opened me up a little bit from being so closed off with all these walls and these guards up, got me a little bit more willing to even consider a program or fellowship or working any of that. Can I, am I allowed to talk about Gatehouse at all? Yeah, go for it. I like the fact that we have that, the whole longer term thing. Yeah. That, that it, like six months, gives you the time to literally be therapeutically worked with while you go out, find a sponsor, and collectively put them both together. Right. That's huge. That's one of the reasons why I said I would never work in the treatment field again. And then I was convinced by you guys that I can do it. And God, God was like, yeah, it's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I like that part here. And I, I had the same experience. You know, in 05, when I got my first stint of recovery, I was in, I walked with my AA luggage, which was like two hefty bags, <laughs> right, into a crisis center. Then got, you know, they had that whole like state funding program and I got put into a, a, like a 28 day program and then they evaluated me and they're like, you're gonna need more time. And they kept me for 90 days. That started off everything for me. That's when I then went, you know, home, got the referral to South Florida, found the sponsor and everything changed. Oh yeah, I needed that because I think even when I first started working the program and I found my sponsor, all of it was new. So those were still changes and I'm a creature of habit. Like I don't do well with changes. Right. So even though I was willing and I was totally into this, I was still experiencing all these changes and I found myself falling back on my therapist right. to sort of process those changes. Right. And so I needed both of them, you know, together, which is why a long-term program like what Gatehouse does is so effective because it works on the client, you know, integrating them into what's going to maintain their long-term sobriety. But while those changes are initially going on, they're right there saying, hey, we're right here to support you, help you process. And so you can sort of, you know, fly. Right. And 28 days kind of the, the initial model is a short amount of time. Oh, yeah. Plus resurgence. It's not a short amount of time to find a girlfriend, though. <laughs> right. Those relationships seem to be interesting, right? And that being said, like the alcoholic or addict resurgence of the ego is fast, right? So the oh. other side of that coin is I go in desperate, willing to change you know, anything I can, and then by day four, if she's looked at me right in the med line, my willingness to make all these adjustments might not be there. <laughs> right? Those people have probably some other experiences to come back to, right? But the ones who are totally broken, 28, you can get some, 
a little stuff on your feet, but but I mean, it's really going to be what happens when you get out. Right. Right. So over that course of that six months, kind of to tie this in here, you got two different kinds of relapse prevention going on. Right. You know, you heard of Terrence Gorski. I think I've heard you say that name. You've heard me talk about him. It was all good. Yeah. He's amazing. He's brilliant. He actually, I mean, he's one of the people who's credited with making relapse prevention famous and the clinical side. Right. Right. And he talks about the process of, I call it uh, B-T-F-U-A-R. Beliefs, thoughts, feelings, urges, actions, results. Okay. Here's how that works. I have a certain belief system. People should act this way. The moral conduct code of the day is this. Whatever it is, right? That is where my thoughts are fed through, that belief system, right? That then gives me certain urges, right? Those urges, I then have certain actions I take. Actually, I'm sorry, belief, thought, feelings. I then have feelings based on those thoughts, which give me urges. I then act, and then I get it. There's a line there. After the act in the world, it gives me a result, right? Clinically, that makes tons of sense. It's very cognitive. So it's neither bad nor good, but it's also accurate and great information. I met the man. He helped me a lot several years back, and, and he, I went to his classes and training. He was really, really good to me. He's invited to the show. We're allowed to do that. Absolutely. We'll see if he's available. Um, awesome. He's great, and he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. But, but that whole process, right, it works for us changing behavior. It's kind of like a sect of, of cognitive behavioral therapy type. It's one of those approaches. But the relapse prevention, if you switch conversations and go spiritual, we have our own relapse prevention. Did you know the big book has relapse prevention? In those words? I'm sorry, what? It says relapse prevention? You have to read between the lines. Oh, right. with your sponsor. It's funny because one of the first things they told me was, or I heard them say was, when you read the book, read the black part. Okay. The words. Right. Right. So actually read what it's saying. But then beyond that, when you get a little more experience with it, there's things behind the lines, right? So let's take a look at page 89. All right. Chapter called... Working with others. We're talking about sponsorship right now? Hmm. This entire chapter tells you exactly how to do it. They, in the forward to the second edition, 16 years after the book came out, recorded some success ratios. 75% plus. 75% of people got better. Now, part of that was this approach was uniform back then. It's not uniform anymore. These people were the ones we call big book thumpers. Right. What's a big book thumper? Somebody who follows and knows the book to a T. Right. And unfortunately, they're just messengers, right? Like, I was a big book thumper. I'm not anymore. I know the book well. Right? And, and maybe through... Youth, immaturity, arrogance, we can kind of use that stuff against ourselves, right? But the reality is the, the book works. And when they were using the book back then, the success ratios were huge. There are other mitigating factors to why their you know, numbers aren't the same now. I don't really subscribe to economics, which means, you know, we hear 5% of people make it or whatever it is. 100% of the people that do this work get better. So... Being that I was a newcomer for so long, you know, my experience tells me that there's three categories of newcomers in every meeting, right? There are those who are just not done yet. It's not me, it's, it's not my job to gauge somebody else's willingness, right? The book actually says, you know, if you want what we have, which means sobriety recovery, right, then you're willing to go to any lengths 
right? Here are the steps we took, right? So, so they're basically saying we qualify the willingness of other people by giving them instructions in a sponsorship position and they either do or don't do them. I don't necessarily need to say call me every day at this time of day to qualify your willingness. It's kind of a tad arrogant. To be honest, it's kind of playing God if they call it that. So I just give you the instruction, you take it or don't take it. I'm not the fire sponsees. They fire themselves by being unwilling to do the work and wind up going back out, right? But in that third category, so when I was in that category, there was nothing you could say to me. Well-intentioned, kind, great information that was going to keep me in AA or any of the fellowships, right? So that's one category, right? We just love them. I don't want to be the person that hits them with hard love when I haven't shown that I love them. And then they're, now I'm the face. Like I was in, you know, bad places months ago, you know, 11 months, whatever. And they were all like, I'm not going back because of the way they treated me or, or part of it is the way I think they're going to judge me. And some really do judge, right? So that's that first category, just not really done. Just love them. Don't be the face that they use as an excuse to not come back is, is what I've learned, right? And I've made the mistake of being that guy at times, being harsh and unnecessary, well-intentioned, but harsh, right? And then there's the, the fencers. We'll come back to the fencers. And that, but then the other side of that is those who were done. Like you, nine months here, right? Yeah. You were done last time, true? Oh, yeah. Internally, you knew you had had some kind of a shift that said, I don't, I don't care, I, will, I don't want to go back. Absolutely. Right? That's actually the third step requirement not the third tradition requirement the requirement to go to meeting is just the desire to not use the third step requirement in the book it says the first requirement on page i think it's 60 it talks about uh, actually it's 63 the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success we're talking about a truly surrendered individual they have no more ideas right were you there oh yeah so was I then, you know, and, and then again this time around. And, and so there's nothing you can say to that person that's going to force them out of the rooms. They'll just write you off and go, I'm going to go find somebody nicer or, or whatever the case may be. But they're not leaving and giving up their seat for, for the, the things that really are obstacles that are self-created in mind. But we can add to that for them, you know. And then there's defensors. That's where my heart really goes out to. Those are the people who the most important meetings we have or sometimes the most important meeting being had is had 10 minutes before and 10 minutes after the meeting, right? I'm huge on meeting etiquette because I had to be, right? So I either can start a relationship with the love of my life because we share fist steps over McDonald's, right? And I find out she's the one, <laughs> right? I hope that's not the laughter of recognition, right? Because that's painful, right? No. Right, exactly, right? Or I can be connected to people who are, who are doing the deal, Right? Those people who already had the answers, who, who, I mean, if we go off into, if you and I were in, if we were in the military, right? Paris Island, I think, is where the Marines get trained. You don't know me, I don't know you, right? You might be from Mississippi and I'm from New York. We have no different, we have all these differences, but after the training, 13 weeks or whatever it is, right, we're, on, we're aligned in a way we weren't before, right? Now, now, if you and I got sent to Afghanistan after, after being, you know, graduating from boot camp, we're probably pretty comfortable with each other at this point, no? Oh, yeah. Right. But now we're in Afghanistan or, or, or Pakistan or whatever it is, and, and a master sergeant comes up to us, right? I'm going to be more comfortable with you, but we're both going to be safer with him. Mm-hmm. Right? I've heard fist steps. I've heard some horrific stuff that happens. Like in the military, who would know? I wouldn't have known this as a civilian, that, that like literally if a child walks in front of a convoy, you kind of might have to keep going. That's insane. 
right? But the reality is when we stopped doing that and started to go see if the child was okay, they had bombs strapped on them and we lost soldiers, right? So in that, in the addiction analogy there is they know the pitfalls. I don't, which are very unnatural, right? The pitfalls of the, the simple things, people, places, and things, all those different things. It's the people in that middle third that we don't have to be amazing at the steps and understand the process that can meet them there outside of the meeting and invite them to this new walk of life. Right? It goes like, I, it took me so long to realize that we don't heal in the meetings. We heal one-on-one -on -one in pairs, either park benches or wherever it is that we're doing, halfway house patios, wherever it is, that's where we really heal, outside one-on-one. -on -one. And it took me a really long time to get there. The sponsor is the bridge to that gap. But back to the point we're making, the alcohol, the alcoholics, 100% of the people that do the steps, as outlined, get better. Right? So I, I remember being in, 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 in treatment years ago and they gave that, you ever hear the fear speech? Oh yeah, if you don't do this. You're going out, you're yeah. going to be gone, right? And they, they give you the numbers. They're like 1%, 5%, whatever it is. I would never forget being in that last third, right? Just done completely. And then giving that speech and there was about 100 of us in the room. Only one out of you in this room is going to make it, the guy said. Mm -hmm. I turned to the guy that right of me, I was like, you're screwed. I was done. I just knew. And God met me exactly where I was because I had said that first prayer in the book in my heart, even though I didn't even believe in God. That first prayer says, we asked his protection and care with complete abandon. It sounds like the prayer of help, right? Who am I to not help that person who's internally said that prayer, walked up to me, asked me for help, and in not just setting the table, but in having the meal of recovery, right? And then, then there's that, that other part about sponsorship. I mean, it, it's great that, you know, they're fragile. We want to be there for them. But so important that the process has already been done. You know, I look at sponsorship as like, it's like literally having a recipe. A recipe comes with everything. The measurements, the instructions. Let's assume that I had never been in a kitchen before. And that, you know, you're a master chef. And I walk in and you just leave me the instructions, right? And you go, here's the instructions. Make a cake. You, I've got all the ingredients. When we talk about our ingredients. Honesty, open-mindedness, willingness. Right, that's the bread, eggs, water, sugar, milk of recovery. I bring whatever those ingredients are to the table. You're the teacher. You leave me with instructions and walk out the door. This relates to your question before of reading the book myself. Is it likely that you're going to come back if I've never even preheated an oven and you're going to have a perfect cake? No. That's me. You know, I buy shit like side by stuff with like IKEA or whatever it is, and they always convince me I'm so stupid. They're always like, "No, it's self-assembly." Right? I didn't have a dad. Sorry. Right. <laughs> So I go home and then I, I it spent 45 minutes to try to put it together. If I ever get to the point of it's done, always the, the back part is in backwards. There's <laughs> pieces left over, right? And, and really what happens is I call my friends and I'm like, please help me, right? And then they come in and that's it. So I walk into, you know, to your kitchen and now let's give a different scenario. You're a master chef. I bring the right ingredients. You sit to me and say, hey, Rocky, we're going to make a cake together. I'm going to show you everything, how to crack an egg, how to preheat an oven, how to butter a pan, how to mix the batter, all that. If I take your directions and bring the right ingredients, what's the likelihood that we'll have a cake done first shot? Very high. 100% probably. If I take your directions and bring the right ingredients, right. that's exactly how this book works. That's why I don't deviate from it. Right? I do outside spiritual practices now, different. Right? But when it comes to a newcomer's life, that works every single time. I don't have the recipe's been done. Do you have the ingredients is the question, whoever there, you know? When they're asking, they seem to have the ingredients. So 
interestingly enough, I, you know, that, that anybody in that middle third, we can always meet them. And the stuff you're doing is so needed because they, they need to, they need to be able to get to meetings. They need to get the right information. But all that relates to this, just that, that you and me with literature in between us. And let's do this process and see what happens. When somebody did that for me, my life has never been the same. Even, you know, after the relapse where I worked the steps backwards. When I came back, I knew AA worked. I knew that I had put it down and that the book was true. I just confirmed it when I went out, you know. And I also confirmed it. Or it was confirmed for me when I let people help me and came back again. My new sponsor, very different approach. But the, the steps were all in there. So what were we talking about? Sponsorship. And you have me holding page 89 open. Oh, relapse prevention. A la Bill Wilson. So what's that first sentence say? So this is chapter 7, page 89, working with others. It says, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So let's go over that. Practical experience shows that nothing, two different words entail the word nothing. No thing. No thing. Meaning, prayer individually. Uh, service work, right? All those, nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking or using as intensive work with other alcoholics. There's only one definition for intensive work with other alcoholics. This chapter is exactly how to do that, right? This chapter is how to approach a new man who's still sick and suffering, what tactics we take. I made an anagram for that too, um, which it's a really simple process. I won't get too much into that for the sake of time. Well, probably a whole nother show could be done on just that. Right, the whole concept of how to approach the new guy and give us the instructions. Right. Right. Basically we want to learn about them to see how they want to be approached. I mean, what does that mean in South Florida? Walk up to them and just say, Hey, what part of Jersey are you from? <laughs> right? What's your exit? Right. And they're gonna go, oh, okay, and then we have a conversation. Next thing they're gonna do is do what? Start talking. You can trust addicts to talk. Right. It's gonna come. Put on your put on your, you know, brain jacket because here comes the vomit of how life is falling apart. Maybe it'd be fun to do um an episode just talking about that. There's a lot of stories. All right. So 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 that's that's the relapse prevention. The one thing that we can do to never go back out for ourselves mm -hmm. is to go bring this process to somebody else. What does that do for me? It's interesting, right? Because just like a clock, right? You got 12 digits on the clock. When you get to 12, what's the next one? One. My 12th step is his first step. It says in the book over and over again, right, when they're approaching a man, we told him what we knew of alcoholism. There's a practical way to do that. But basically, we taught them the disease concept. The physical allergy, which most of them know. The mental obsession, most of them do not know. They don't know that the insanity is not the stuff that happens when I'm using. The insanity is that although I've done all these crazy things, I've hurt myself and others, I'm going to do it again after being detoxed. Yep. That's the dormant piece of it that's... We're in the greatest danger from when we're new, right? And then the spiritual malady. They don't know that much about that, right? What they know is they're what the book says, restless, irritable, discontent, but they don't know why. They don't know that a spiritual experience and that, that can be treated by the step work or the power behind the step work, right? So, I mean, vital information. So, so that literally, me going to do that process with them ensures me another day sober. I didn't know that. You know, I, I had no idea that that will keep me in the game. The other thing that that does, <clears throat> their 12 being my one, means I'm going to ruin their drinking. It's different to drink when you really fully get the first step 
and you've had a moment of that, and it talks about that in the 12 and 12. I think it's on page 20. When it says, what about all these young people? All these young people that are coming in and, and says, many of them can have death averted or years and decades of their lives and their misery just taken out because we gave them the information. They said, so long, thanks for the info. And then they walked away and then they proved it to themselves. When they're drinking and using after they've been through the doctor's opinion and they now go, oh, I get the obsession that brought me here, that lie that I could just do at 20, that I could just drink and get away with it. When they're doing that stuff and they have the information, it makes the suffering more intense and acute. It knocks out the last reservations. They come back oftentimes and they go, I think I'm done. Let's do 2 through 12. Right. I was always taught that lack of motivation to work steps 2 through 12 comes from a lack of internalization of step 1. Right. The flip side of that coin of me teaching the newcomer the doctor's opinion and that first step experiences between a sponsor and a, and a newcomer is while I'm teaching him that, I'm ruining his using and he's probably ruining my lack of recovery. And what I mean by that is as I do a third step prayer with him later down the road, hopefully not three years later, right? I'm dropping my knee to a God of my understanding. He's dropping his knee to a God of his understanding if that's the way we do it. And as we say, God, I offer myself to thee, right? You know, to take away the bondage of will. Well, what's bonding me as a sponsor with one year, two years, 10 years is current compared to his is addiction. His is the bondage of self. We're going to get into inventory later, but right now he's just dropping his knee to the addiction process. Me, it's like I can't be emotionally present to my girlfriend. Me, it's like I can't, I can't be a worker among workers. I always have to fight to be at the top or at the low, whatever it is, right? I'm dropping my personal stuff and he's dropping his, but we're walking side by side on the same exact path, right? So as I ruin their drinking, they ruin my lack of recovery. That, I didn't see the value of that. I didn't see that what, what sponsorship would do for me is keep me accountable to my own growth because I'm consistently talking about principles and I'm an addict. I fall short all the time. So as I go home and I'm, if I'm doing really the 11-step stuff, I'm seeing where I'm falling short. But I wouldn't be talking about the process or teaching it if not for the sponsee. Right? That brings me to that, that whole that Aspen Grove concept. You familiar with the Aspen Grove? Not at all. Let's do it. So, so there's an Aspen Grove. This is real. And it's so large, it's, it's, I think it's in Colorado, that it's, its root system can be seen from space, right? And in the middle of it are the ones that are like hundreds of years old, and they're really, really tall, right? So on the outskirts are the younger ones, and they're way shorter, but they live in the shadow of the tall ones, so they can't get light. However, through the process of photosynthesis, the tall ones bring what's needed for the light to the short ones on the outside. So it looks like the older ones are the ones only supporting the newer ones. But the other side of that coin is that those newer ones, because the older ones have been there for so long, they're, they don't have nutritional value in the soil that they're in. It's not enriched soil. The enriched soil comes from the outer part of that system. It's the newer ones that have contact with the rich soil. So they take the nutrients and bring them in through the root system to the taller ones. Point is, we need each other, right? I think I'm saving a kid's life, and the reality is he's teaching me how to have a better relationship with God. Now, that's powerful. I never understood when my sponsor turned to me and said, you're going to help me more than I helped you. I was like, that's not possible. <laughs> right? I know. I was told that so many times, and I was like, you're just saying that to make me feel better. When you see what the power of God can do when you embark in this process, and all of a sudden people are bringing back to you things, 
right? When I'm I'm a year too sober, I'm like, why am I so frustrated in my, you know, whatever it is, my professional career, right? And I see a kid who's busting his ass to go get a job. And, and I tell him, because the book tells me to tell him, you've got a brand new employer. Being all powerful, that employer will provide what you need if you keep close to him and his work well. Have faith, but do the legwork. And he goes out and I talk to him, maybe a little bit of case management, how to get a job. You should probably wear pants. Make clean ones. Good idea. You might want to shake hands and look them in the eye, right? Bring a resume. Go talk to the decision maker. And then I send him out there in the world, and God does the heavy lifting. He finds a job. He finds a job. And then I look back in my life, and I'm like, I had all these problems. I'm making whatever amount of money. My bills are paid. I live indoors. I have a relationship. And he literally was homeless, got a scholarship for two weeks, found a job immediately, and is more thankful than I am. He's taught me something. I like that. Me too. Me too. So yeah, they, they, you know, I, the other thing about the Aspen Grove and, and that our 12 step being their first step and what they can do for us is you also, when you do this over time, there's a multiplicity factor that can't be determined. And what I mean by that is that old adage that, you know, anybody can tell you how many seeds are in an apple, right? But you can never tell how many apples are in a seed. Depends where it's planted, right? And God does the, the, the watering of that. And God does the, you know, what, what soil it lands on. But I've worked with people that I gave the first step information to and never saw them again until years later. And then they came back to me and told me what they were doing. I didn't accept the information then. I found it to be true. I'll never forget the conversation we had. I moved to a different city. I found other people doing the same kind of stuff. And now I started a group and now I sponsor four people and, I, and my life is amazing. Right? You can never tell how many apples are in the seed. We're not responsible for any of that. Sponsorship is really us being faith farmers. We're responsible for throwing the seeds only. They're seeds of truth. The thing that I was given when I first got here were two things for my sponsor, love and truth. And the truth of what addiction was is where all that started. Sponsorship conversation starts with some compassion. The most compassionate question is, are you hungry? Right? Sometimes we need to let them know that we care before they care about what we know. And once we take care of the basic immediate needs, addicts need simple things when they're brand new. Rest, food, kindness. These are all things that we touched on last week, right? They're timeless principles. They don't change, right? So the question I would ask to ask myself, right? For anybody to ask themselves is, am I preparing, right? We literally are. I think you, you're very familiar with it. You wrote a blog on it, right? Why we were chosen. Oh, yeah. Powerful, right? You want to tell them what we're talking about? I mean, they can check it out. We, um, it's actually right on gatehousetreatment.com in our blog section. Um, and it's titled, Why We Were Chosen. And it talks about us being better positioned than doctors or lawyers. That God didn't pick the most intelligent or the most charismatic or great speakers, right? God picked us because we were broken so we could hear the cries of the broken. Right? We hear better than, than others do because we know what that cry sounds like because we've all done it. Right? Not a lot of people can understand what by definition is ununderstandable, which would be something like pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. If it's incomprehensible, I literally shouldn't be able to understand it. <laughs> right? So, I mean, we have those experiences. When we get through them, we can laugh at them. Imagine telling our war stories at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Right? Those people would be horrified. 
Oh, yeah. Right. We speak the same language that they, you know, that others don't, which means we can hear the cries of our own broken and fallen, right? My job is to never shoot the wounded. And then my secondary job or primary job, whichever way you want to look at it, is to prepare to tend to my brothers and sisters, right? That's the listening to the Joe and Charlie you're currently doing, the work you already are doing with your sponsor. All that is a collective to help them eat dinner. So, you know, my thing is just that. We all deserve a shot. How much can we do to best prepare for the person who's coming in to be able to be confident that this process works. And as we work through our own personal kinks, right? We all have different talents and abilities. We just make sure that we can show up. That's awesome. And like I promised you, next, and this is for myself too, next person that, next woman that comes to me and asks for help, asks to be taken through the book, I'm going to get out of my own way and, and say yes. And, you know, do what I was taught to do, which is put my faith that all of it will turn out okay in my higher power, who's obviously sending this woman into my life and has tried to do so repeatedly, but I've gotten against. I, I know some of the people you know, and I'm, I'm now honored to be in your life. You have me and your team, and you have some great people around you, and you're already doing amazing. So I, I, I guess in the Indian Catholic? No. What? I'm just Indian. Okay, well, the God in me honors the God in you. Awesome. How do you guys say that? I don't... Namaste? Not, nama, not... Namaste? Yeah, that thing. Namaste. Namaste. All right. And, um, you know, make sure you guys, if you liked what you heard, sort of check back next week. Rocky's going to continue being your host. Um, and I'll provide some of those links that we talked about, you know, in the content right under the, the podcast. Um, make sure, you know, you follow our Facebook page, the Sober Community Podcast Facebook page, um, also linked below, um, to keep up with updates and new podcasts that we're going to be coming out with every week. Mm-hmm.